3: To getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get.
2: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Kirk Curbstreet was born in Ohio and was the star quarterback at his high school. He won the Ohio Gatorade Player of the Year Award and went on to play college football at The Ohio State. After his college football career, he joined ESPN's College Game Day and has won numerous Emmy Awards as an analyst. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Kirk Street reflects on his time at Ohio State, his new book, Out of the Pocket, Football, Fatherhood, and College Game Day Saturdays, and his career with ESPN.
4: Hey, Kirk. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Happy Monday to you? Same to you. Hey, let's get right into it, because you're looking at a college football nut. You're looking at an Ohio State Buckeye fan. We could go Keith Byers. We could go oh. Pepper Johnson. We could go all the way back. That's a good we era. We could go Woody That's... Hayes. Yeah. All that good yeah. stuff. Yeah,
5: Cedric Anderson. That's the Cedric Anderson, uh, Gary Williams, all those guys. That's a great era. Yes.
4: Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I I, I, I was born in Cleveland. I was born in University Hospital, so I know you're, you're kind of a Cleveland aficionado, too. Yeah. And um, – My dad showed me, they used to have this thing called Alcoa Presents. And when I was four, I was walking by the TV and I heard they said, they called him Superman. And if you're four, you look. And they showed Jim Brown carrying all 11 of the New York Giants, including Sam Huff, into the end zone. My dad saw me watching. Apparently I dropped everything I had in my hand. And he said, you were born in the same place that Superman played. I was a (laughs) Cleveland Browns fan from that point. Onward, that's it. <laughs> all the whole uh, the whole good oh, thing. Crazy. So anyhow, so you're, you're coming to a family home here uh, awesome. on this show. You're coming to family home. All right, I got to ask you right away, because I'm such a nut, in your mind, who's on the Mount Rushmore of greatest college football players of all time? And this is purely a Kirk Street <sighs> edition. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what other people say. This is like the John Madden thing, except it's Herbie style. Yeah. Who's on your Mount Rushmore?
5: Oh my gosh, um, Michael Vick. Yeah, uh, this is strictly college football.
4: Yeah, this is strictly college football, and that's a nice one. You start out of the gate with yeah, a nice Michael one. Vick. Remember.
5: Michael Vick in college, I think people forget how how unique he was. Reggie Bush, um, another one for me that just I've never seen a player in college who was as electrifying um, as as Reggie Bush. Uh, Those two, Archie Griffin would have to be on there because, you know, he's the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner um, and and did things, again, just kind of ahead of his time, what he was able to do. Um, And if I had to pick one defensive player, how about Lawrence Taylor when he was at North Carolina? um, Just a game wrecker. You know, people remember him as a New York Giant, of course, and how many – Things that he was able to do in the NFL, but uh in college football, he was he was pretty dynamic. Him, him or Hugh Green. You know, you can pick one or the Hugh other. Hugh
4: Green is a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Hugh Green, that's a nice call. Hugh Green at Pitt. Yeah. With with uh was he was Dan Marino with him yeah. at the time or was Yeah. I think yeah. they
5: maybe overlapped maybe a year or two. And and you also had Tony Dorsett that was, I mean, Pit Pitt back in the in the uh, yeah. late 70s, early eighties, they were yeah, they were yeah. at a different level. Yeah.
4: Yeah, there was a guy who I don't want to say, but he was really special, Charles White. Yeah. I don't want to say it because you know he gashed us at yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. But that little fella, because he wasn't a big guy, <laughs> yeah. he—it's like they couldn't tackle him for yeah. the life of him. Yeah. Number he just twelve to run. He was yeah. so slippery, just he just oh, kind of glided oh, through the hole. Oh. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. The, for the life of us, they 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 could not stop. All right, now here's the question: When we talk about Charles White, when we talk about Reggie Bush, when we talk about uh, several of these others, they didn't become big NFL stars. Didn't mean that they were Archie Griffin. Yeah. Didn't become big NFL stars. What do you know about that? Why do some of the best players we've ever seen in college, who are playing against all the same guys who they're going to yeah. see at the next level, yeah. not not become great pros?
5: I don't. You know, that's a great question. I, I mean, there was a run there for the Heisman Trophy. Um, it was almost like anybody who won the Heisman Trophy, they would they would have almost a Heisman jinx and, and not go into the NFL and and become superstar players. I don't I really don't know the reason why. I can tell you this, the, the NFL game and the college game for decades was such contrasting styles. Now, you can you can win and be effective as a college player. But the same game was played. It was not the same game on a Sunday. And so, you know, Archie Griffin, I, I still mystified how he was so darn good in college. Nobody could tackle him in college. And then he goes up into the NFL and didn't quite, you know, he had a decent career, but not the career we would all thought of. And I think over the last five or eight years, we're starting to see that trend kind of change, and I think the reason is the game is becoming more and more similar. What you see on Saturday is transitioning now to what we see on Sunday, and uh, and maybe that's helping try to the NFL uh, administrators and executives figure out that guy's going to work in our game. Uh, whereas before, you know, I, I don't think there was necessarily a correlation to always being a superstar in the college game that, that uh, you know, they're going to make it on Sunday. There's some guys that were just okay in college and for whatever reason they get in the NFL, boom, they take off, you know? So that, that, that's changing
4: uh, a bit now, but uh, that's, there's no doubt that that was going on. Like I said, for decades. Well, do you think that you have seen a college team that could have beaten an NFL team? Have you ever seen Some, I know everyone I likes like every to year, say that. Is it possible? Every year I
5: watch Alabama, I'm like, man, these guys, you know, because what what, what what I'm always reminded when you get into this discussion with NFL players is, okay, wait a second. Alabama has, which is a lot, but they have out of 22 starters, let's say they have 12 that are going to be in the NFL, maybe, maybe 14, um, which is a ton. In the NFL, they're all NFL players. Even the worst team in the NFL, they're all still very talented players. So, you know, in in Alabama's case, you know, because they're so physical at the line of scrimmage, um, they have guys that immediately jump right into the NFL and become superstars. So sometimes I often wonder if Nick Saban's figured out the formula to, to, to win
4: uh, at, at the highest level, even with those college players. Interesting. Cause he, Nick Saban, arguably the greatest coach, at least in modern times uh, in college yeah. football, struggled a little bit as a pro coach.
5: Yeah. He was around 500. I mean, they, they were chasing playoffs, uh, wildcard bursts when he was there with Miami. And if he probably would have stayed there longer and built his culture in the nfl I, I think he would have been successful I, I think he and bill belichick right now and have been the the two greatest coaches at any level i would say nick saban's the greatest college coach to ever live i mean there's been some great ones over the years but i i think what coach saban's uh, doing and, and continues to do uh is just at a different level of excellence uh but i you know i'm i think he you know he was there for i can't remember if it was a year maybe two Uh, It wasn't it wasn't uh, terrible. It wasn't a disaster. Uh, And if given enough time, I think he would have he would have built a winning program for sure.
4: Kirk, take me back because uh, you grew up in Ohio. Where where was home originally? Yeah, I I grew up in
5: the Dayton area and um, parents uh, divorced when I was about eight. And so I moved around. I went to eight different schools in nine years, uh, all in southwest Ohio. So Dayton, Cincinnati, primarily in, in those areas. Uh, until I went, eventually I went to Ohio
4: State. You know, once I, once I selected a school. And 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 why was that? Why were you bouncing around as much?
5: Well, you know, a, a big part of my book is talking about just what we all go through, right? Different different trials and tribulations. Not, I guess, we don't all go through, but but in my case, I went through some just you know dysfunctional uh, family stuff. Uh, parents uh, got divorced. My mom remarried. Um, And was married for a few years. So I had stepdad, stepbrother, stepsister, step a lot of step different step uh, grandparents. And then uh, my dad remarried, and I had a step-brother over that side and a step mom. I was kind of bouncing back a little bit, back and forth. My dad was always my hero, and he was never really in my life as much as I wanted him to be. And some people go through that, they have resentment and anger when they go through divorce as a kid. I had more of kind of an emptiness. Um, and I was a really shy, painfully shy and introverted uh, kid. And so I just kind of held on to all that. I didn't really talk about a lot of that with, with people. My outlet was sports, thankfully, um, whether it was watching sports, participating in sports, my friends, my friends' families. That's kind of where I, that was my escape to, to where I wanted to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that was kind of my reality, and then after going through all that, my parents decided to move in together in the same house as friends um, and did that my whole high school. They said, you've been to hell and back. We've apologized. You're going to go to high school. We're going to live in this house. And uh, I I stayed in the same house my whole high school career. And most of my friends thought my parents were married, even though they were living in separate bedrooms and and just kind of just trying to pretend we had a normal family situation uh but i finished my my last 4 years at a, at a school in Dayton called Centerville High School but uh yeah bounced around quite a bit lived in a lot of different areas
4: and um just kind of endured you know the best i could well, what does that teach you when you look back now as a 50 year old man you look back uh on that and i'm not searching for any particular lesson but i'm just You've been lucky enough to live the life you've you've lived, and so you can gather from different things. What do you what do you think when you now look back on those years and your parents' decision to come back together and uh, try and gratitude. be Gratitude. I mean, it,
5: gratitude. As much as that sounds crazy, just uh, humble, incredibly humble, uh, grounded person. I I didn't come from a lot. You know, I I my first job. I I when I was I got out of school at Ohio State. And I had, I was a business major and I had, you know, the conventional way of, of business opportunities and pharmaceutical sales. And they, they, I, mean, I did three different interviews they made me an offer. It was very lucrative. It was maybe with bonuses up to six figures. And I, I was like, Wow. And then I took a radio job instead, and you know, I had to make a choice one or the other, and I took $12,000 uh, starting job to do something that I loved. You know, I don't know if you can relate to that getting into your into your business, but I wasn't chasing money because I never had it. I was chasing passion. And um, I think as I, you know, next thing you know, after I got into it and doors started to open and I've been at college game day and ESPN and working on a national level for 26 years, but I, I still look at myself as that kid that kind of just scratching around and trying to be a hard worker and trying to gain respect from people. So I'm a pleaser by nature. Uh, I'm not one to ever arrive. I, pr- I think if I ever arrive, I'll probably be retired and fishing somewhere in Montana or just kind of laying low somewhere <laughs> with my dogs. But I, I just a uh, pretty simple person, pretty humble beginnings and and will always look in the mirror and see that guy, that kid.
0: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
4: What was high school like for you? Because on one hand, you're the star quarterback uh, in Ohio, football crazy Ohio, basketball, baseball player, but you also say you're painfully shy. Are you still painfully shy at that point? Or what's life like for, for Kirk if I'm with him in 1988, 1989? You, know
5: you know how shy guys are. If I'm with my boys, then I'm I'm a different guy. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm cracking around. I'm, I'm messing around. You know, guys are busting on me. I'm busting on them. That was me with my boys. Uh, if I were, you know, out with people I didn't know, I, you know, even though I was being recruited by every school in the country and I'm supposed to be this guy that's Mr you know, popular guy. I just was never comfortable in that role. So I was very, very introverted. Um, just, you know, I just didn't like a lot of attention. So I was like two different personalities. If I were in a in a comfortable environment, I was outgoing and fun. And if I weren't, then I was just super uncomfortable, super, almost like social anxiety. Um, just not my thing. And it's to this day, that's still how I am. I mean, I, I do a job that's out in the public eye and I've learned to buy into, you know, you have to be a certain way um, to, to do your job. But when a camera's off or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing my job, I'm like I, I mentioned, I have three golden retrievers. I've always had dogs. Like I just I like to take walks with my dogs. I like to be with my kids, my wife, uh, just kind of live a very, I don't know, just low key lifestyle. Um, but yeah, in high school, I was, I was, I was two different people. I was, I was depending on who I was
4: hanging out with dictated how I, how I acted. All right. Let me ask you a little bit of a heretical question here. What would have happened if the Gatorade player, high school player of the year in football in Ohio, son of Ohio state captain hadn't gone to Ohio state. What would have happened to your pro football career, to your college and potentially pro football career if you hadn't gone to Ohio state?
5: Well, if I didn't get a scholarship to go to Ohio State, uh, if I didn't get a scholarship to go anywhere, I would probably either join the Marines or or join the Army. We we didn't have uh, money to pay for college. My sister paid off student loans, so she was in her 40s, and I wasn't a motivated student at 18. I was a motivated. I did what I needed to do academically. I wish I would go back and attack it, you know, with a different kind of approach than I did. But back then, if I'm being candid. I was doing what I needed to do to, to be eligible and to get my grades. And I was, I was a sports geek. Um, but if I didn't have a uh, uh, football and a scholarship to fall back on, I definitely would have probably skipped college and, and just gone to the Marines um, just, which would have been an interesting way of going about life and, and a very different way than, than what that door opened. You know, when I got that full scholarship to Ohio state and, went there thinking I'd go to the NFL. And when I went as a five-star could have gone to any school in the country as as a quarterback. And I chose Ohio state mainly because my dad played there and was a captain. And I grew up dreaming of playing for the Buckeyes. And now it's a reality. And I fell flat on my face. I talk about that a lot in the book. I was an option quarterback in high school and very good at that, but I committed to a school that was not option. They they were a seven-step drop, kind of more of a West coast offense. And it just didn't fit my skill set. And so for three years, my wheels were spinning. I was frustrated. I was cynical. I was ready to quit, feeling sorry for myself, always down. Just, just. I mean, when you see your world crumble, it's hard to live that because you had such big dreams and it's gone. And I was a bust and I was whatever you want to say. And I hit that, again, a fork in the road on, do I just quit and go play baseball or just give it up completely? Or do I endure and, and keep keep kind of pounding the pavement? And my dad, who was you know in and out but there for me at that time, was like you know hey, keep going and uh, get through another spring and kind of see where you are, which I did. And I'm I'm thankful that I did. I ended up starting you know last year and a half or so and captain my senior year and voted by my teammates as most inspirational player, which I appreciated, and most valuable player. So boy, I learned some valuable lessons throughout that whole process and, and about uh, perseverance and, and things not always going on your schedule or what you want, when you want it. And uh, and sometimes that's okay. You know, it's, fr- it's really, really, really hard to go through that. But it taught me and it's helped me throughout my life uh, about, like I said, work ethic and and uh, and and just not giving up and always, always grinding, always grinding. And um,
4: that's kind of how I built my broadcasting career from the lessons I learned going through that. Did you know, when did you know, you went into college hoping to make the NFL. At what point did you say to yourself, despite the fact that I'm one of the best programs in the country, despite the fact that I'm a starter, despite the fact that I'm throwing for thousands of yards and throwing for plenty of touchdowns, I'm probably not going to get a chance to play on Sundays. When did you realize that?
5: Well, I I had some free agent opportunities when I got done playing. Was not drafted, but uh, there were a couple teams that reached out to me. It was a very different time when it came to the draft, to the college game. But I I had some opportunities. I'll be honest, after everything I'd been through, a lot of red tape, I I was kind of emotionally spent. I was very big on not being a college player that couldn't let go. You know, in that era, there are a lot of guys who would play arena football. They'd play in the World League. They just wouldn't be able to let go of their playing days. And I always looked like I didn't want to be that guy. If I were going to be drafted, I'd go to the NFL. I'm not going to be drafted. I'm cutting the cord, and I'm going to find my next chapter in life, having no idea what it was. I had no idea what I wanted to do uh, because I was so focused always on football. So when I when I realized I wasn't drafted, these free agent opportunities, I'm not passionately interested in doing those and chasing those, I got to go find out what my next job is. Like, what's my next, what's my next step? And that's when I started to interview with all those, those pharmaceutical companies as a business major, Ohio state had hooked me up with a bunch of those. And that's when I, you know, I kind of swallowed my pride and I was okay. I was at peace with it because of everything I had been through at Ohio state. Um, and, and that was such a I'm talking when I was an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old going to bed. It was dreaming like you probably in Ohio of playing for the Buckeyes. I mean, I I didn't dream of playing for the Green Bay Packers. I dreamt of playing for Ohio State. Like that was the mission. And when I conquered that mountain, finally, my senior year, it was almost like, it was just like, you know, I'm good. Like I've done what I really wanted to do as an athlete. And now I got to go find that next thing. And, And little did I know. When I, when I decided to become a talk show host, making that $12,000 offer they offered me, little did I know that two years later, I'd be working at ESPN. I mean, I it wasn't like I had a goal of maybe one day I'll work at ESPN or one day I'll be on ABC working with Brett Musburger. It wasn't like that. It was just, hey, this door looks, let's try this door. I opened that door and I'd step through, do that for a little while. And then, oh, here's another door over here. And I'd, open that door, and it was just like, what's behind this door? And it, and it was just one thing. I don't know if your career was like that, but it was like one thing led to another, led to another. The next thing I know, I'm 26 years old, and I'm sitting on the set of College Game Day and working on, a, on national TV,
4: which it just, this will be my 26th fall uh, this, this coming season. What was ESPN like in those days? Was it already a thing at that point, or was it still evolving?
5: It was a thing, but it wasn't. There weren't a lot of jobs. There, there was just ESPN. There wasn't ESPN Two or ESPN U or all these different networks. It was just ESPN. So there weren't a lot of opportunities, but ESPN was definitely a thing. Um, it was a, a destination for uh, a lot of sports viewers. Like that's that's where you went to watch highlights. That's where you went to find out anything in sports if you were a sports fan. Um, so I, I, was a consumer myself, but they didn't have a lot of games on. They didn't have a lot of, of, uh, content as far as college football, they had college game day on Saturday, but, uh, it, it, the, the jobs, it wasn't like there was a laundry list of opportunities. There was one or two opportunities and those were all taken. So I, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. To try to get to ESPN. In fact, when when the opening uh, happened, Craig James, who was a broadcaster, left game day and he went to CBS for a bigger opportunity. And I was 25. And they called me and said, hey, we're going to bring you in for this audition, literally said to me, you're not going to get the job, but it'd be really good for you this young in your career to just go through the experience. So that was what they told me coming in. And then so I went in and uh, they brought Lee Corso and Chris Fowler in for the audition and I was terrified uh, to go through that audition process as such a young guy and to be sitting next to Lee Corso and Chris Fowler. And I sweated my way through that that uh, audition, thought I did terribly, uh, shook their hands and said, you know, thanks and got in a car and flew back home. And didn't hear anything for a month or two and just assumed they'd forgotten about me. And then I ended up getting a call from my agent and saying, hey, they're going to hire you on on college game day. And I was like, what? I I couldn't. I was I was number one. They told me I wasn't going to get it. Number two, I didn't feel like I did as well as I could have. So I just assumed it was a slam dunk. I didn't get it. And then they called me or they called my agent. He called me and said, you got it. So um, that was that was a life changing phone call to, to receive.
4: Wow. When you look back, if you were whispering to your younger self, they have these great books that say what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. What's the one or two really smart things in retrospect you've done in this life or in your career that you would whisper and share with other young people that may not be easily apparent just through kind of normal motivational talks and things, but you're like, you know what, for whatever reason, Here's an instance where I did X and it really worked out. And that's not what they necessarily would tell you, but I'm glad I did it because it made a difference in kind of how my life or how my career has played out. What's the list for you? The
5: the first thing is, and and I touched on a little bit, but the first thing is you got to find a passion. You know, how often do people in America go to bed on a Sunday night and look forward to the next week of work? You know, most people that I've been around, they work, but it's... (sighs) another week of work. You know, I I really didn't want to do that. And the fact that I was never driven by money ever uh, allowed me to be very selective, um, which I didn't know at the time, you know, as you say, retrospect, what was the key? The key was finding a passion. You got the conventional way, make some money, get into pharmaceutical sales. Maybe for some people, that's awesome. They're a people person. They love sales and go get them. That's what they love. For me, I, I could have done that, I guess. But for me, passion is sports. You get to sit around and, and take phone calls and have guests on and talk about baseball and football and basketball, and it's it's what I do in my downtime and my personal time. So I I think finding your passion, not worrying about money, and go 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 to work and go enjoy that. That's that would be the first thing that I learned, and then the second thing. And I don't know if I ever truly was able to define this, but. I going back to my sports background, I felt like like if if in your business, I'm going to outwork every other host in this, this space, you know, however that whatever work that is, I'm going to do it longer and better than anybody else I'm going to compete against. And then when I'm on the air, it's going to become evident that, man, that guy seems really prepared or that guy seems to really know what he's talking about. That was my thing. So I was going to find, I found a passion and then I was going to outwork my competition. And I feel like if you do those two things, um, you know, it doesn't guarantee success, but it sure gives you a a chance to, uh, to get into a field that you love. And then when you work as hard as I work in this field, I love it. I love my job. Like you imagine working for 10, 12, 15 hours a day and like enjoying every minute of it, That's that to me is
4: a key to to success in life is is finding that and being able to live it. Yeah. You could imagine, even as you say that, you could imagine someone being much healthier, uh, much happier. You could imagine relationships being better because you're not talking to someone who is only under stress or someone who's only Trying to de-stress or trying to forget the day, but someone who actually enjoyed the day, and that's a whole different uh, energy. So that's that that is that is a blessing. I, um, Kirk, you did something on the air that I really appreciated last year in the midst of Black Lives Matter. I felt at least that you spoke from the heart uh, about what you were seeing, and also importantly what you were feeling. Tell me a little bit, and I realize this is a big conversation. And you and I could have days and days and years and years of conversation on it, but. As you have kind of thought about race and race relations and where we are and maybe where we could go, what, what do you see today? And again, I am not don't want to put everything on you, but but I know you were good enough to share on air some of what you were feeling. And we all went through the last year together. And I'd be curious to hear what, if anything, you're thinking these days about where we are on race and race relations and maybe where we could go.
5: Well, I, I'm very fortunate to grow up in a family where I, I just saw everybody... As a friend. Um, if I hung out with you, it's because I was drawn to you. I didn't. I never personally looked at at a person's race. I looked at more of what do we have in common as far as our hobby. When I'm talking when I was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old. I went to a school that had Asian-Americans, black, white, just everybody was kind of in the same neighborhood. And I never, it was, where I grew up, I was never a thing. It was never a, thing that you were Asian or you were black or you were white, it was just, we were kids. And so I, 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 that was my introduction to the world and where I lived. And and then I went to school, you know, as I bounced around to these different schools, that was pretty similar. There might be one where it was predominantly white, but most of them were just where everybody was just kind of hanging out. And so what I decided was, I look at people and what's in the inside and, and if they're kind to people, I'm usually drawn to that person. Not if you're popular or you're not popular, if you're just a, a kind person, that's that, that was just a person that I would want to associate with. So that was my background. And then I played sports. And when I got to Ohio State, there were probably more black athletes in our locker room than there were white athletes. But at Ohio State, when I went there, when we would do a team meal, the white guys would all eat over here, and the black guys would all eat over here. Well, I, I, I hung out in the dorm rooms a lot of times with a lot of the black uh, players. We'd play video games together. We'd goof on each other. So a lot of times I would eat with the, a lot of the black players, not even really thinking it was a thing. And I'd look around once in a while. I'm like, why wow, this is stupid. Like, why, why is it so divided? And I don't think it was done intentionally. I just think people were gravitating to what they were comfortable with. And we'd go to a movie theater at Ohio State and it would be the same thing. A lot of the white guys were over here and a lot of the black guys were over here. And I just never really uh, understood that, thankfully, because of the way I was, I, I grew up. Well, then by the time I was a senior and I was a captain, me and Steve Tovar, who's a, a middle linebacker for Ohio State and a black player, we were able to kind of set the tone a little bit more on interaction and hanging out and all of us being together and all of us kind of loving on each other I'm really proud of if you go back and look at Ohio State, you get into the locker room, you would find out that that was kind of a turning point, I think, for Ohio State, where it became much more more of an intermingle, more of a love for one another, regardless of of whether by the time I was a senior, if you went to watch us at a movie or dinner, you would see it'd be much more of a mixed group than white over here and black over here. And that's something I'm, I'm really proud of. And so and it wasn't done out of. I don't know, like, like I'm gonna make a statement. It was more done out of love. It was more done out of, let's just all hang together. So that's just my my way I've always been. Well, then all this stuff happened and having you know friends that are white and friends that are black. I called David Shaw, who's a head coach at Stanford, um, talked to him the day before we were gonna have this segment on. And I talked to Derek Mason, who's a head coach at Vanderbilt. Both these coaches are, are black head coaches in, in college football. And I was like, man, I've never been uncomfortable in 25 years of talking about a segment on College Game Day. I was like, part of me just as a white male, I don't even think it's my place to talk right now. Like, I just, I can be really honest with these guys. I was like, I just feel like just, I just want to sit there and listen. And they said, I understand that. But man, you got a strong position in this sport and you should really consider like speaking from your heart. If there's something on your heart, like you should you should feel comfortable with all this time you put into this sport. You should feel comfortable in opening up your heart. But if you don't feel comfortable, man, don't don't do it. You know, just just feel the moment. And so I was just, you know, listening to them and and they're just both really, really smart, educated guys. And so I'm being honest with you. I've never not been able to sleep the night before a show, like being nervous to go on national TV. But I was nervous for this in one segment. It's a three hour show. And this is one segment. <laughs> because I was torn is it my place to talk or is it not and so I just sat there and watched the feature with Maria Taylor and she had about eight different players and they were all kind of going through their own experiences that they've kind of run into um, whether it's driving a car and they get you know pulled over because they have a hoodie on or you know they get pulled over and a cop immediately like thinks they're a threat and treats them you know like they're They've done something wrong and they haven't done anything wrong. And it just started to like, man, I was watching that. It was weighing on me because the whole time I'm thinking. I'm go- I'm just going to take it. I'm going to go the safe way. I'm not going to say what I think. And as I'm listening to those kids talk and it was just it was just bothering me, you know, and, and I kept going back to my phone call with David Shaw the day before. So I can't remember if Maria went first or Desmond or whoever went first they started to talk and then it was my turn to go. And as I started to talk, I was like, keep it down the fairway, just nice and easy. And I started to talk and I just found myself being like, I'm going to, you're, you're going to go ahead. And I and I used the quote that David Shaw gave me and I started to read that. And I just read that. And then when I got done, I just started to just like, it was like all this emotion just kind of came out of me. And I'm not a talented enough actor to like, fake that or I didn't prepare anything. I just, as you said, I just spoke from the heart. And I I just, I I think the big thing is regarding that, and and David Shaw talked to me about this as well. And and basically his comment was until people who aren't impacted by racism are equally as, as aggravated by it as the people who are affected by racism, nothing's ever gonna change. And, and he, that was his message to me. And, and that's what I, I started to kind of try to talk about. And I talked about a locker room, how, you know, we just see scarlet and gray, you know, you don't, you don't see black and white. We, we see, we got to win this game together and we're going to do whatever it takes. And a locker room and in a huddle, you're not really worried about this stuff. You know, you're worried about just winning as a group and whatever it takes. And I just thought, wouldn't it be great if the world were a locker room, you know, or the country were a locker room and um, just hope we can all just just treat each other well. And, you know, it's amazing how 90 percent of the people were appreciative of what I said. And there were this 10 percent of people that were just so bizarre that, you know, if I'm if I'm guilty of having empathy, I apologize, you know, or, or compassion. You know, how, how do you not understand compassion? Or, or want to do, want to make it better, you know, want to make, uh, want to make it where everybody just is, everyone's treated the same and everybody has the same opportunities and, and away we go, you know, and if you don't want to work hard, then you go over here and you get left behind. If you want to work hard, you go over here and and we all come together and, and be proud of living in this country together and love on each other. I, I mean, I, it's pretty simple to me. I don't know why it has to be so complex. Yeah.
4: It, is, uh, it, it was such a powerful time. And again, I think sports has been a special place uh, for allowing, sometimes in ways we don't even appreciate, racial integration uh, mm-hmm. and racial connection. And I actually, uh, your guy, Stuart Scott, I give him a lot of credit because I think that he, he opened up ESPN in some ways and allowed more people to enjoy it and enjoy it in different ways. And I think actually even further elevated what was already a wonderful platform. But I do think that locker rooms, but also watching shows together, being fans of the same team and yeah. realizing sometimes that you can cross over differences on that. And I'm not trying to minimize real differences, but, but, but I do think that sports has a special opportunity. And uh, it has made me wonder whether we'll see more athletes run for office and um, uh, uh because there is a, a leadership quotient there uh that you know that could be valuable in other in other arenas um, yeah yeah it's it's
5: uh fascinating to me that we you know on the on the back end of all this where we are right now with with the country and and um how we are so divided you know and i think you know, I don't, I don't really follow politics. I don't really consider myself like this staunch Republican or liberal or anything like that. But, um, I feel like most of my life, the world has been run more where it's been kind of independent or kind of in more in the middle. And it just seems like right now, everything is like you're over here or you're over there, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's never been like that. And, um, I I just worry about, about our country. I worry about our kids and, you know, what they're inheriting and what they're watching, what they're witnessing, because it, I just, I never really felt, I never really felt uh, so divided and so labeled. Everybody just gets labeled something and you're just automatically in that category. And that's, that's where you are, everybody. And, um, just such a wrong way to live so hoping we can get our bearings back as a country and and uh, have some great leadership you know because we we've not had that for for a long
1: time.
4: Hey, Kirk, I know I may lose you in a minute, so I want to do some rapid fire before we go. You mind if I hit you with a little bit of rapid fire? Yeah, sure. Um, which of your boys is most like you?
5: Uh, I have four boys, uh, identical twins that are 21, Jake and Ty. I have Zach, who's just left for college, is 18, and at Ohio State. And I have Chase, who's at home. And I, I would probably say my youngest, uh, Chase, is, is probably the most like me as far as personality and and uh and his interest I, I would say my youngest
4: nice and he's playing quarterback at saint xavier is that the one yeah yeah, yeah. he is yeah. yeah 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 not a bad deal your favorite movie of all time oh my gosh
5: i'd have to say shawshank shawshank redemption morgan freeman uh, that that was a great movie i was you know I, i'm a movie guy i love movies i just feel that the uh the movies now are, are, are very different than when you and I were kids and you'd go to the movie and it'd be Morgan Freeman or it would be, you know, I don't know. Uh, they're just there's so many great actors back in like the 70s, 80s, 90s. And now it's it's more just Marvel and and um, just what is it, the, um, the the effects, you know, of different kind of movies. It's just, it's it's a different time right now. You know but where I, you
4: can get some of that magic? I have to say though, was on the TV screen. Yeah. Because I do think yeah. that all the magic that you and I remember from Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. and a lot of other yeah. great movies, I think shifted to the TV screen. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm a little bit of a TV junkie and I end up finding lots of uh, good things there. But you're right, I don't go to the movies or I don't watch the movies yeah. like I did when, uh, yeah. when I was coming up and where it felt like there was all... Always multiple things yeah. that I wanted to go see. Yeah, if Harrison
5: yeah. Ford were in a movie, you're like, boom. You know, Morgan Freeman, yeah. boom. Yeah. You know, there yeah. are certain guys yeah. that are in a movie, yeah. you're going. You know, and yeah, uh,
4: it's those kind of movies are, are far and few between. Hey, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Um,
5: I mean, I hate. I don't want to go down. I don't know how you feel about, but I would say Jesus.
4: Jesus Christ, nice, probably nice. Nice. Uh, that would be my my first choice. Yeah. All right. What would you guys be eating? Do you know? <laughs> um,
5: probably, uh, probably keep it simple. Just a, a nice steak and mashed potatoes. Love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> I love it.
4: Love it. And, and you putting butter on your mashed potatoes or no? Yeah. Oh yeah. You put butter. On, okay. Butter and yeah. salt. Um, uh, all right. Biggest mistake you've ever made. Um.
5: I've made so many of them. I'm trying to pick, figure, figure the, the biggest one that I've made. You know, I've been, I've, I've, I've tried really hard. And I think this is a big thing in life to learn from all your mistakes. Um, you know, the, the, the setbacks that we have, the, the, the regrets you try to learn from those. I, I, we talked a lot about where I went to school. I went to school because of that path, that dream that I had to go to Ohio State and I I'm not saying it's a regret in any way at all cuz I'm I'm glad I went through what I went through I just wish I I would have been able to pick a school for not just a dream but I wish I would have been able to pick a school for what would have been a right fit for me as far as what I could do as a player so I don't have a lot of regrets as a as a post-college on. Um, but I, 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 I shouldn't say I, I, that's a tough question because I don't want to come across like I'm saying I'm regretting I went to Ohio State. I'm just regretting how I got there. Like, I wish I would have been more, would have thought it through a little bit more instead of just picking it because I was going there no matter what, um, if that makes
4: sense. Well, where do you think you would go? If you, if you had the benefit of you uh, right now. And we all would love to have that older angel who could whisper into our ear, yeah. but if you did have the benefit of, of, of you, where would you guide guide him? Or at least what would you else would you put in front of him? Give me another school or two. You would have talked to him about.
5: Well, I mean, I the, back then it probably would have gone to like a Notre Dame or, or, uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know if I could imagine putting that Michigan helmet on, but <laughs> Michigan's system fit me perfectly at that time and bo shimbacker was was the head coach i mean it would have been i mean back then if you were being recruited by ohio state and michigan you either went to ohio state or you went to michigan because their their brands were so similar um but i i don't know if i could have ever gotten to a point where i actually like you, like i just said put the helmet on just because i grew up my whole life and they were they were the nemesis they were they were the evil empire you know the whole my whole life So, but, uh, but yeah, that, that Notre Dame would have been in play for sure. Lou Holtz was the head
4: coach at that time at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, uh, who's going to win the Heisman this year? Uh, I'll say Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. Interesting. Interesting. Another Oklahoma quarterback. Yeah. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. Yeah. Uh, Jalen got close enough. And, uh, and now you're saying Spencer Rattler. And of course, going back to Jason White, uh, yeah, and uh did Sam Bradford ever actually win it or he just went number one. He four? did. Yeah, he wow. did. Wow. Yeah, they've they've it's had a, a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've had a heck of a run. They really have. They really have. Um, greatest athlete you've ever played with or against?
5: Uh man, there's a lot of them when I was at Ohio State. Joey Galloway, Eddie George, Robert Smith, uh, Big Daddy Dan Wilkinson. I uh I would probably say Joey Galloway, who played in the NFL for about 18 years as a wide receiver, mainly for the Cowboys, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, he ran a 4 140 He bench pressed over 400 pounds, um, never put a sip of alcohol in his body. He's a really good friend of mine. But he, he would probably be the, the most impressive athlete, um, not only that I played with, I'd argue maybe that I've ever seen. Like he, he's he's a unique, once-in-a-lifetime kind of
4: athlete. You you say that you, even that you've seen, and you're including Michael Vick and Vince yeah. Young yeah. and Peter Warwick and Dion and all these guys.
5: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what hurt Joey was, if you go back and look at Joey Galloway's NFL career, if you look at the quarterbacks he played with, respectfully to, to all the quarterbacks, he never had – a guy like if he would have played with Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers uh, Joey Galloway would have been in the Hall of Fame and people would be talking about him forever but he never he never he, I mean he got Warren Moon for just a cup of coffee near the end of Warren Moon's career he, you know he he played just sparingly with some of some of these guys and a lot of the other guys they were just journeymen just kind of guys that never really panned out but uh
4: his physical skill set was uh was Tremendous. Yeah, very, very good. Wow. Um, all right. Uh, last two questions here. Most interesting thing you've learned in this life about love? Um,
5: I, I would say love is, is, is challenging, but it, at the same time, I'm very big on not holding grudges. Like if you have an argument with somebody you love, um, I, I'm five minutes later, I'm right back. Either apologizing, I'm very big on apologizing when I, you know, if I make a mistake or if I say something I, I shouldn't have said or do something that I, I shouldn't have done. I'm, I'm very big on talking about it and, and addressing it and working through it and not letting it build up. Not, I, I, going back to some of the dysfunction when I grew up as a kid, I feel like a big part of uh, my family's uh, struggles were the miscommunication. And when you miscommunicate with somebody or you don't open up and talk about an issue, it, it, uh, the other person assumes the worst. And if you do that again, and then again, and then again, and then again, and you get into a habit of not communicating when there's turmoil or there, there's an issue, it, it's going to become a uh, a web that you can no longer unwind and, and work through unless you do hours and hours and hours and hours of therapy. And so I've just learned as an adult with my own wife and my own kids, there's obviously going to be trauma. There's obviously going to be some difficult moments, but I've learned with love that there's, I don't want to say a safety net, but there's something that there's a willingness to get to the bottom of something and have those difficult conversations that you don't always want to do, or you don't look forward to doing. But when you do it, there's like a cleansing. It's just like, you know what, we, we're, we're good. We got through that and, and we can move forward as opposed to, like I said, you hold it back and you don't talk about it because it's uncomfortable and I don't want to talk about it. Whew, that's going to blow up down the road. So I, I just think that being open, being willing to uh, apologize, having hard conversations, those are all things that if you really love somebody,
4: then that's that's the healthiest, healthiest thing you can do. A final question. Most beautiful place you've ever been to in this world. I I love Maui.
5: You know, I I, I don't have a lot of vices. You know, I told you I didn't come from money, but now that I have a little bit, my one vice is vacations with my family, my wife and my kids. We love to ski. So when I'm at the top of a mountain and I look out at Beaver Creek or Vail or Telluride or Deer Valley and you just see just mountains, there's something for me, it's really cool and breathtaking about those moments. Um, But I also love a sunset in Maui when you're just, you know, you're, you're uh, having a a drink with your wife and the sun's going down in Maui that you can't beat that either. So really tough to, to, to pick one or the other, but those
4: would be two of my favorite spots. And are you a fancy hotel guy, Airbnb guy? Who are you?
5: I'm a fancy hotel guy. No, I mean, I grew up red roof and guy days in day guy <laughs>
4: <laughs> nobody even remembers red roof it i remember red roof it i remember red roof it and skyline chili yes and, uh, yes and all that good stuff yeah, i remember you all got that it. okay you got it yeah. and now and yeah. now
5: i'm embarrassed to admit now i'm like i need my nice hotel you know <laughs> once you get a taste of that
4: yeah yeah it's hard Hard. You know, years ago years ago my mom was a little sick and we had to do a lot of trips and um I for a variety of reasons I ended up having a first class ticket and so we switched and I put her in first class. Nice and After that, she never went back. She said, "You can't." She said, "She said she she said you made a mistake. You can't send me back. This is too good. I've been denied too long. I should have been up here to begin with." Oh, that's beautiful. uh, So we always uh, enjoyed it, and it was a trip to Dayton, Ohio, no less, for my cousin Margaret's wedding. That's great. That that I put her in first class, and she never went back. So that's hilarious. uh, So we can all relate
5: to that story. Yeah, you know, those of us who tasted went from. The back road to getting a little
6: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's oh, awesome.
4: Yeah. Hey, Kirk. Thank you. Uh, thank you for giving me all this time and uh, congratulations on all the good stuff that uh, that you're doing. And uh, I'm gonna keep rooting for you and the Buckeyes. I know we're at number four, but uh, that's just where we're starting. That's not where we're ending.
5: That's right. No, they. They. I saw them just. I was up in Columbus the other day. They. They have a team that's as good, if not better than the year before. Uh, it'll all come down to the quarterback, C.J. Stroud. If he if he plays well, get ready. I mean, they're going to have another another big year uh, in Columbus. What
4: happened to your boy Tate Martell? What in the world yeah. happened?
5: Yeah, I mean, he uh – he, he's kind of, he was a great runner in high school at Bishop Gorman out in Vegas. I remember him, but, but remember man, him. he, he, he's an example of sometimes these kids in today's day, day and age, they become so big with social media that, that, that the, the reality versus the fantasy is pretty skewed, pretty, 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 pretty wide margin. And he just never panned out at Ohio state went down to Miami of Florida was there for a couple years that didn't pan out there. And I think he's back in Las Vegas. I, I think where, where he grew up. So, you know, hate to see those kind of stories, but, uh,
4: but uh, you know, they're out there, they're out there, but he was, he was a great high school quarterback. I, I remember him and he pulled out some, he pulled out some narrow games at Bishop Gorman when it looked like that win streak was going to get surrendered. Yeah. And uh, he never surrendered. He stayed in there. So I, yeah, he was a uh, he was a good player. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, hey, Thank you, gracias. Next time, uh, if you guys, I'm out here in the Bay Area near David Shaw, who I like a lot as well, and uh, I'm in a little town called Mountain View. And next time you're out here, I may try and come by and shake your hand, and say hello. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
5: Hey man, you, I've done a million of these in the last week and a half, but this was uh, this was a lot of fun. You got a real good way about you, so. I can see why you had a lot of success in your career. So wish you all the best and thank you for having me. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Okay.
4: See you, man. All right. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts.
1: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford
6: side.